Welcome to the Rehope Podcast. Before we dive into this week's message, we'd like to provide you with some helpful resources. If you'd like someone to pray for you, it would be our joy to connect with you. So please email us at prayer at rehope.co.uk. If you'd like to get connected with an online Bible read-through group from wherever you are in the world, you can email brt at rehope.co.uk and be a part of a small group of people reading through the Bible cover to cover each year. Finally, if you would like to support the work and ministry of Rehope financially, you can do so online at rehope.co.uk slash giving. We pray you find this message encouraging, enlightening, and helpful. Enjoy. All right, I bless you now in the name of Jesus, that you would know Jesus more wonderfully today. I bless you to receive healing if you need healing in your body, in your mind, in your emotions, in your spirit. I bless you to receive whatever guidance from God you need today, whatever help from God you need. I bless you to flourish and prevail over whatever challenges you're facing in your life right now. And I bless you to feel hope and joy and love and peace, whatever's going on. I bless you with these things in the name of Jesus. May it be. Amen. We're going to start with an illustration very similar in quality to Picasso, but this one's by Alan Lee, the illustrator of the, the original illustrated version of The Hobbit, right? So in this, in this particular illustration, what you're seeing is Gandalf is about to say goodbye to the dwarves and the Hobbit. They are at the edge of Mirkwood Forest. They are to go down this pathway, and Gandalf is going to go somewhere else. Why? Don't know. Here we go. Uh, This is what Gandalf says to him, uh, says to the group here as he's leaving. He says, goodbye to you all. Goodbye. Straight through the forest is your way now. Don't stray off the track. If you do, it's a thousand to one. You will never find it again and never get out of Mirkwood. And then I don't suppose I or anyone else will ever see you again. Do we really have to go through, groaned the hobbit. Yes, you do, said the wizard. If you want to get to the other side, you either go through or give up your quest. And I'm not going to allow you to go back out now, to back out now. A few paragraphs later, as as Gandalf is riding away, it says this. Before he had passed quite out of hearing, he turned and put his hands to his mouth and called to them. They heard his voice faintly, goodbye, be good. Take care of yourselves, and don't leave the path. And don't leave the path. The call is pretty simple here with with Gandalf. Stay on the path. Don't leave the path. That's that's how you're going to get through Mirkwood. You're going to stay on the path. Don't leave the path. And they do that for a while. In fact, they they journey on that path for quite some time, and and they they make sure that they stay on the path. It's a dark path. It's an unpleasant path. The, The food sources get more scarce, and finally they run out of food, but they stay on the path. And then they keep going, even though they're out of food, and they're feeling hungry, but they stay on the path. But then there's lights. Something shining. And, and these lights are just, just off the path. Like, not, not far. They're just, just a little off the path. And there's food. They can smell it. There, there's food. Again, it's not far. It's just a little, a little off the path. And, and so, so they're, they're hungry. They're, they, they're like, 
oh, we want the food. We need the food. They don't need the food, but they feel like they need the food because they're super hungry. We need the food, and so they veer just a little bit off the path, a little compromise, a little bit shifting off the path, and the lights go out, it's tricked, and they get lost. And for the next many pages, it's about their journey of lostness and delay, and, and, and they end up in prison and jail, you know, all this kind of stuff. So many things that they could have avoided had they just stayed on the path. Say it on the path. I'm going to sum up the message for you today. Stay on the path. Don't leave the path. God has said very clearly, here's the path. It looks like integrity. It looks like godliness. It looks like personal practical holiness. Don't, don't leave the path. Stay on the path. Now, maybe in your life, in your experience, you're like, I feel like I've been trudging through Mirkwood uh, on this path for a long time, and, and, and it's been a difficult era, a difficult slog, and you're at a moment of decision where there's something shiny, something out there that, oh, it looks, it looks really good right now. It's, it's not way wild. It's just a little off the path. And we want it. We, we want it. And, and, and that there's a thing that, that could be pulling strongly on, on your heart, something that you, you really want. And Friends, the, the call is the same as it's always been. Stay on the path. Stay on the path. You don't want to leave the path. You don't want to leave the path lest you get more lost than you would imagine. L lest you get more stuck than you would believe. Lest you get more delayed than you'd ever want to be. Stay on the path. The elders meeting this week. I don't, uh, our elders meetings are a lot of prayer and listening and, and writing down what we feel like God is saying to the church. And, and I keep uh, copious notes. I share them with the staff very often. I get to share this elders meeting notes, some of them with you right now. We had the elders meeting this week and we're just praying through, God, what are you saying to the church? What are you saying? Uh, big picture. And there was this remarkable repeated theme that was coming through. Words like this. Holiness. Holiness to spill into revival, reawakening, and growth. The holiness to spill into these things. Uh, other things that we, we were hearing, like the woman at the well. The woman at the well and, and how she was confronted by her sin. She was living with someone that wasn't her sixth husband yet. She was living with this person, and, and yet she was confronted with it, and there was a graciousness to that moment. She meets Jesus, and she becomes an evangelist. She came to that moment where she's confronted by the, the, her off-trackiness, and she becomes an evangelist. And then we talked, somebody else was thinking about, hey, there's a story of, of the, the Lewis revival, and, and that elder on his knees asking God, God, see, is there any offensive way in us? Or is there any offensive way in me? Is there any offensive way in me? And then once the leaders are getting their, their response right, God, is there any offensive way in me? Eventually you see people in the fields falling down and finding Jesus. But starting with, with the, the assessment in, in the church, God, is there any offensive way in So we had all these elders with these very similar themes um, in this prayer time. God, what are you saying to our church? And, and it keeps coming to this, this call to holiness, this call to making sure we stay on the path or get back onto the path. 
Because whether we, if you've been on the path, stay on the path. Maybe you've been off the path, but today's a moment where you're back on it at this particular moment, and you get to see the path in front of you. And, and am I going to stay on this path now, or am I going to veer a different way? I vote stay on the, the path. Um, we're in a study of Moses. And I'm really excited. I'm really excited about th- this, this, this messaging about coming back to Jesus or to staying on the path, holiness chats. I'm excited about them, not because they're, they're like super fun uh, to, to, to like look inside and to see, oh, what is off track in my life, but because they're super significant. They can be such significant turning point moments, and we're going to see some of that in our story. We're, we're, we're studying Moses, and today is the, the penultimate, there we go, the nearly last, the nearly last message, and it, it is today we're going to be looking at the last challenge that happens before the leadership transition, before they go into the land, and before they go into, finally go into the promised land. And what is the last challenge? It's a holiness check. It's a holiness check, and there's this question going to be hanging over the nation, who is going to stay on the path and keep following God, or who is going to give in to compromises, even here at the last moment, right on the brink of going into the compromise, who is going to give in to some compromises and, and give in to sin, leave the path, get lost, and even perish in their way? Well, what's, what's going to happen with, with the people of this nation? We, we see these big repeated cycles in the Bible, um, in single stories and in, and in story arcs, and, and the, the, the narrative is continually the same. You've got this call, this call, or, and then a fall, and then there's consequences if you, if you fall, and then there's a holiness check, a holiness check. And then a potential moving forward with God. If you pass the holiness check, then there's, there's a new era. There's a breakthrough into a new, an, into a new season. Let me, let me remind you of our Moses series because we've seen the ark everywhere. Um, young Moses. By young, I mean under 80. So we're there. Uh, in the Moses series, you can see on the map here, we, start, we, we looked at Moses as a young man. X marks the young man spot. I mean, he was all over the place, but, but he's kind of there. And so Moses, he starts off, and he knows before the age of 40 that he is going to be leading God's people out of, out of, out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, that he is the deliverer. And so he's, he's all ready for that. He, he knows that God's called him to be that. He, he's surprised that not everybody sees what, he, what is so obvious to himself. But he falls, and he jumps the gun, and he murders an Egyptian. And as a result of doing what he thinks is God's plan, but in, not in God's way, by compromising in that way, he gets a 40-year delay. He spends 40 years as a shepherd in Midian. And Egyptians, we know, thought that shepherds was the worst of the worst. They despised shepherds. We, we learned that in the Joseph story at the end of Genesis. But anyway, so he's, he's over there in Midian for 40 years thinking that nothing's going to happen. And then he meets God at a burning bush. Great story. Uh, and then God starts to send him back to deliver God's people out of the land. But on the way back, he has a holiness check right at that, no, no idea where it is. Somewhere on the way back. Somewhere on the way back. He has a holiness check. And God meets him on the journey back and is going to kill him. It seems like such a small thing. 
in light of this big life calling and commission to lead God's people out of slavery, out of slavery. Uh, he just, just had this one little compromise. And I guess two, I mean, both of his sons, but neither of his sons were circumcised. And God was like, this compromise is going to stop the forward progress here for the whole nation. And I'm going I'm to put you to death. But Zipporah stepped in, circumcised, sorry I acted that out, uh, <laughs> circumcised uh, the, the boys, and, uh, we, and, and, then he, and then he was released to move forward with God into the plans that God has for him. But everything stopped until that little compromise was dealt with. He moves forward, okay? We saw that in, in that story. Um, moving to the next slide, we, part of our journey, God's, so Moses gets back, he, he tells the, the Pharaoh and he tells the, the nation that, um, it, that Pharaoh, you need to release God's people, we're going we're gonna to be moving out of slavery. And, and he tells the leaders of Israel, it's, time, it's go time. Well, Pharaoh decides, okay, I hear you. God says to let my people go, let my people go. Um, but he doesn't. He falls. And he resists. The consequences of him resisting what God is telling him to do, obeying God, are devastating. The consequences are devastating. There, there's plague after plague. Ten plagues decimating the land of Egypt, decimating uh, even his own family. There's death in his family in every household. But then there's a holiness check at the end. And the holiness check has to do with uh, the, the blood of the lamb. And will they put, obey, will they put the blood of the lamb over the doors of everyone who obeys and puts the blood of the lamb over their doors, they get to leave. And they, the angel of death passes over them. And death does not hit their home. Well, those that obey and pass the holiness check, they, they get life. And they get a leave, and so then they, they leave, and they, they move forward with God, leaving a decimated Egypt behind. The theme, keep, the, the same flow just keeps happening over and over again, short stories and big stories. But at Mount Sinai, for instance, they get to Mount Sinai, the mountain is on fire. Mountain's on fire. Yeah, no, it's, it's on fire. Smoke billowing. They hear God speak out the Ten Commandments. You're looking, you're reading it through. He, he, they hear the audible speaking of God uh, on top of the mountain. And he says, you will have no other gods besides me. And you're not going to make for yourself an image, a form of anything. And the heavens are blah, 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 blah. You're, don't make, no idols. What do they do? They make an idol. They make an idol. They fall. What are the consequences? 3,000 people die. 3,000 people. Moses comes down the mountain. He's raging. Oh, yeah, and he breaks the Ten Commandments tablets the first time. Uh, that's another. But he comes down, shatters the Ten Commandments, and he, and he says, who is with God? Holiness check moment. Who is going to walk with God in this, in this awful moment of our nation? The Levites step forward. They strap on their swords and they put an end to the worship of the idol. And as a result of, okay, 3,000 died, but as a result of this holiness check, then the whole worship structure of the nation changes. Up until that moment, firstborn sons were to the, be the priests of the family. But at this moment, it shifts to become the Levites. And so there's an exchange between firstborn sons and the Levites are now being, become the priests. And that holiness check means that they reorient 
the worship structure around the Levites. They set up the tabernacle, and then they are able to move forward with God with this new leadership structure based on those who have been obedient to God in that particular moment. So they go to the edge of the promised land. At the, promise, at the end of the promised land, you're going to see one of the best Picasso illustrations of all time. And the, look at that spy guy. I mean, that's what spies look like. If you ever see anybody dressed like that, CIA, right there. Uh, so you got spy guy. They, they send in the spies, 12 of them. I, I could only do one. Uh, but you send in spies into the land. And the call was, be brave. Be brave. Go see the goodness of the land. See, is it really as good as God God has for us. So they go and they spy out the land. Ten of them came back terrified. The land is great, but the people are greater and we have no hope of overthrowing them. And, and they got so much fear in the camp that, that, the, the, um, that the nation wants to stone Moses and Aaron and return to Egypt. They're, they're terrified. And, and so they fall because they don't, have, they don't have faith in that moment. They have fear and they fall. And the consequences are... 40 years delay. 40 years of death of the whole generations above 20 years of age. Everyone over 20 years of age except for Joshua and Caleb, they are going to die in this next season. And then only people 20 years and under who live, because there's going to be some other tests along the way, are going to be able to go into the promised land. There's a fall, there's the consequences, and they're dreadful. Well, here we are at the end of the consequences at the blue box. We are on the plains of Moab, right across from Jericho. God wants to move his people into the land to fulfill the promises. He wants to move people forward, and yet there's a holiness check. There's a holiness check taking place here. And we're going to see what, what happens here during this holiness check and who is going to follow God in this holiness check moment versus who is going to walk away, get lost, and perish on their way. I, I think this is, before we go into this, I think this is so significant for us. I just, I've seen this a couple times in our church's story where we are, where there's a, a general spiritual resetting taking place. Where God just goes around to all of us, myself, definitely, the elders, the staff, the leaders, everybody in the church. Well, I can't say everybody. I've not interviewed everybody. But I'm imagining. I'm imagining. And, and where he goes through and he gives us all a holiness check as a family. He says, what, what, what are we going to do? What are you going to do with that gray area in your life? That bit that's a little bit off the path. That thing that's maybe tempting you to step off the path. What are you going to do with that? And, and I say these are extraordinary opportunities because I love moving forward with God. And you get the forward with God when you get the resolve to stay with God. You don't go forward with God if you're not going to follow God. He's going forward. Are you following him? Are you following him forward? But since July 31st, it's like, oh, this is, this is one of those, uh, the third main one that I can remember. I'll tell you about the other ones later. But, but what is your holiness test? I don't know what it is. You're like, so glad. I'm glad you don't know what it is. But I don't know what your holiness test is, but, but um, the Spirit is going to be bringing things to mind in this moment. You can be alert. This is a unique, wonderful opportunity to get back into following Jesus even better, even better. We're going to read about this, this holiness check. 
But in case you're new here or visiting, I thought I would um, put up some maps that we've been looking at just to make sure we, we remember what's going on. There's two at the same time. That's not one map. That would be confusing. Uh, so on the map on the right, left, this way, uh, on, this, on this map, uh, God's people are on the plains of Moab, the green square outlined in purple with a purple X in the middle of it, just to make sure we understand that's where we're at. The king of Moab, the red box just below that, his name is Balak, and he has partnered with the Midianites to hire Balaam, this prophet, from way up north, from Pethor, in order to bring Balaam down to curse God's people. Now, Balaam, we discover, really does care about God, really does know Yahweh, does, knows his name and, and, and is trying to follow him. He's committed to obeying him. If God says, don't go, he's not going to go. If God says, I don't like the way you're going, he's willing to turn around. He, he, he is very much aware of God. He comes down. Last week, we talked about how they were up on the hills, uh, the red triangles in the zoomed-in map over here, the, the, the purple square, trapezo- whatever it is, uh, is where God's people are camped in that area. They're up in these little mountains up here. And, and they set up these, these blessings and cursings. Balaam cares about God. And ba- God has said, only, tell what I, only say what I say. And that's what he does. He blesses. And he doesn't give in to the pressure of the king of Moab to curse. So we've, we've looked about that. But at this, after the final time where he blesses and he prophesies, uh, Balak, the king of Moab, goes to send Balaam home, and he's not going to pay him. He's mad. He's not going to pay him. And at this moment, Balaam steps off the path. Just a little bit. Just, just, just a little. He compromises just a little bit. And, and yes, he obeyed God by, by only coming when, when God said it was okay. Yes, he obeyed God by only blessing. He's done a lot of obeying God, but here he wants to get paid, and, and he's on a mountain called Peor where this final cursing is, and he wants to get paid. He looks around, he sees that Baal of Peor is worshipped in this place, and, and he's worshipped by the, by, by the nation, by the Moabites here, and so he comes up with a little, tiny, personal compromise. It is so small, friends. His compromise is so small, it seems so insignificant. All that he's going to do is give the king some evil advice. He's not going to start worshiping Baal of Peor. He, he cares about God. He worships God. He's not going to go down and deceive God's people and get them to worship Baal of Peor. All he's going to do is say, you know, if you want to, I'm not recommending it maybe, but if you want to get God's people off track, this is how it would work. That little compromise blows it all up. How do we know that this is Balaam's idea? I said it's in the New Testament. It's also in the Old Testament in Numbers 31. It said said in Numbers 31, yet they are the ones at Balaam's advice. This was Balaam's idea. At Balaam's advice incited the Israelites to unfaithfulness against the Lord in the Peor incident. So the plague came against the Lord's community. Because Balaam knows God, and he knows if you want to thwart God's people, if you want to see God not help them in their way forward, if you want to see them get stuck or even disciplined, if you, want to, if you want to see the good plans of God be thwarted in their lives, then you need to get God's people to turn off the path, to step off the path, to, to live differently than God's called them to live, to walk in disobedience. 
And if they do, then they can be delayed in their journey. They can be thwarted. But here's the story in Numbers 24. While Moses, well, Israel, Israel, Moses, Moses, I guess, was there too. While Israel was staying in the Acacia Grove, the people began to prostitute themselves with the women, women of Moab, the Moabite women. The women invited them to the sacrifices for their gods. And the people ate and bowed in worship to their gods. So in this way, in this way, Israel aligned itself with Baal of Peor. And the Lord's anger burned against Israel. The Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of the people and execute them in broad daylight before the Lord so that his burning anger may turn away from Israel. So Moses told Israel's judges, kill each of the men who aligned themselves with Baal of Peor. An Israelite man came bringing a Midianite woman to his relatives in the sight of Moses and the whole Israelite community where they were weeping at the entrance to the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, son of Eliezer, son of Aaron, the priest, saw this, he got up from the assembly, took a spear in his hand, followed the Israelite man into the tent, drove it through both the Israelite man and the woman, through her belly. Then the plague on the Israelites was stopped, but those who died in the plague numbered 24,000. The call was holiness. No other gods before me, only God. Living holy in God's sight. The fall started off sexual sin. Sexual sin. It ultimately became full-on idol worship. But you're tracking the story. It started with sexual sin and temptation. As you, you're just reading this, this flow, that relational compromise. God has said they're not to marry Moabite women. Well, we didn't marry them. We just were having sex with them. Totally fine, right? No, no, not okay. And so they're compromising relationally. And, and they're having sex with these people, and, and they're not walking the path of holiness. God's clear with his people in every generation. In every generation when it comes to purity, you're, just, you're not supposed to have sex with people you're not married to. Don't have sex with people you're not married to. If you want to have sex, says Paul, then get married and have sex with that person only. Only that person. And, says Paul, they need to be a believer. 7, 1 Corinthians 7, 39. In, in, in this story, it's like no Moabites. Mm, they gave him that. In the New Testament, only believers, believers. I love weddings. I love weddings. I love being a part of weddings. And um, some of you, I've been a part of your wedding and super fun. Um, love weddings. I love weddings. I say it at every wedding. It is my joy to marry believers together. I, have a, I also am totally happy with marrying unbelievers together if I get to talk about Jesus, I guess. But I'm not going to marry an unbeliever to a believer knowingly. I'm not okay with that because I'm not okay with in the sight of God joining together what I think the Bible's pretty clear about believers and unbelievers not married. And any other thing that I feel like the Bible's not okay with believers and I'm, or people getting married who, who I don't think are, are God's okay, okay with that, that situation. I love weddings, but I've got these boundaries when it, when it comes to that. Relationships, love and and, and marriage and purity, it's often one of the biggest holy, holiness challenges. Not just in our generation, in every generation. This story that we're reading, Baal of Peor, 3,500 years old. 
3,500 years ago. And it's the relationship temptation, that giving in to sexual temptation, that causes 24,000 of them to get off path. 24,000 of them to die, to perish in their way. 24,000. And in their case, one compromise leads to the next compromise. Relationship purity led to not even following God anymore. Is that just something that happened 3,005 years ago? No. It's almost a youth pastor joke these days. Teens pastors. You got all these, like, it's just so common, you know, with people like, oh, I'm going to just date this non-believer. They'll come to Jesus, but actually, it tend, usually it's the other way around and the person disappears. I mean, there's some, some maybe exceptions out there, but, but, but generally, uh, they start dating and then they disappear. They disappear. It's not really what I'm focusing on right now. That's just kind of a fun little side thing there. But how's your holiness when it comes to purity? When it comes to relationships, that area? Saying no to pornography, not having sex with people you're not married to, not entering into love relationships where God's like, nope. No, that's not what I want for you. How are you doing it staying on God's path in that area? It's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And I'm sure... We all have our reasons why our particular compromises are okay. That's, it's, it's fine. It's, it's mine. In The Hobbit, you know, where they're, they're hungry. It's food. There's lights. Uh, they're, they're, they're hungry. Just if, we're leaving the path just a little, because it's just a little virgins. It's just a little bit veering. But, but, but we, we, need, we need food. We want it. That's how all holiness moments feel, though, guys. All of them feel like we're, we're being asked by Jesus as we're like, Jesus, is there any offensive way in me? Jesus, is there any offensive way in me? And, and I want to return to your path. Very often it's hard because our hearts are pulled towards other things in, in very real ways. For some it's relationships, for the others it's finances, integrity and finances. For others it's integrity with truthfulness. And deception. For others, it, it might be integrity with work situations. Or, or, or schools, academic situations. Or emotion situations. Not letting your emotions go wild and evil. What are, what are those areas kind of pinging in your mind? What, what's your holiness check right now? In this story, God's people are just across the river. They are so close to following God across the river. They are so close to the river stopping to flow and them walking through. They're so close to walking up around these walls and they fall down. And they're so close to being victorious in battle because God's obviously helping them, including but not limiting to stopping the sun from setting in the sky while he hugs the divinely hugs hailstones uh, on the enemy. I mean, there are some pretty amazing things where they're going to be able to do what they couldn't even imagine being able to do because God is going to be with them in a way that they can't even imagine God being with them because they haven't experienced that for the last 40 years. But they got to pass the obedience check. they got to pass the holiness check to be a part of it. 24,000 fail. And, and, they, and they, they, they don't get to go forward with, with God with, with the rest of the crew. I, I know what God's wanting to do with us. I know what he's calling our church to right now. To just having one of those, let's all just have a come to Jesus moment. I, I can see the path in front of me. It's godliness. I can see the path in front of me. The call to holiness. The call to an integrity. And I, I just keep urging you, stay on that path or return to that path. 
Return, return to that path. If, if you veer from the path even a little bit, you're probably going to get lost. You're probably going to get delayed in your journey. And, and, I, and I, I say this not, uh, like, my heart in this is not to beat anybody up. Because I, I know what this is like to go, go, th- go through integrity check after integrity check. I know how brutal it can feel. I, can, I know the tearing that it can feel like it's going on in your heart. That Just how much you, you want to step off the path and how hard it is to trust that G- saying yes to Jesus is going to be good and it's going to be better when you don't see how it's going to be good and how it's going to be better. But today, days like today are great days. They're, they're amazing opportunity days where you get to make decisions that open up God's forward for your life. I, I've said, I, I've, we've gone through this at least two times as a church, moments where I'm very aware, where I've been, it's been on my heart to, to call people to holiness and that God's calling us as a church to holiness. The first time, there, was a, there were several messages on holiness and we, uh, we felt like God was calling us to, to deal with it and talking about it and what happened, what was the result of that? This place did not see it coming. But we went through this holiness time as a church, these, these weeks of, of, of being like, okay, we've got to be on track. I was tested severely. We were tested as a church. Are we going to walk in Jesus' way? We passed the test. Boom. Here we are. A few years later, we, we, have, another holy, we, we have another holiness test. And the thing is, we don't know what's on the other side of the holiness test. We just know that there's a holiness test happening, which means an opportunity is coming, but we don't know what that opportunity is. We went through this other holiness test. What was the result? We, I was tested. We were tested. We were given a promise. Over the next 24 months, 50 salvations. We never saw a season like that before or after, but for those next 24 months, I pulled out my journal. I started recording every name and date of everyone who gave their lives to Jesus for two years, and I got to 50 with about a month to spare. We've never had a season like that. And you're like, well, that sounds convenient. No, I said before that season started, this is what Jesus is saying. 50 salvations. Again, it hasn't been a forever thing. It was for that season thing. But when you, when you say and you go through these battles and you feel like God is calling you onto the path of integrity, it's not for nothing. It's not just, it's not just a, oh, because God's calling you. It's, it's usually because there's a holiness check before there's forward with God if you follow God. And that's the opportunity before you. I know this. God is good. And whatever that, that battle is, the fact that you're being called to that, that battle and overcome and win that, that war, that is so good for you. There is something so great about a moment like this where you get the chance to just be like, okay, I am going to stop. I am going to veer. I am going to get back on the path. I'm going to walk on God's path. I'm excited for you. I'm excited for us. I have no idea what's about to happen, but I know God is good, and moments like these are special. The challenge for today, win your holiness challenge. Just just that. Everything else we can win. Just win that this week. We'll call it good. Be brave. Trust Jesus. Stay on the path. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for us. Why don't you... Why don't you just go ahead and take a moment here in the quietness and maybe talk to Jesus about your holiness challenge. 
Don't believe any lie that would say it is unwinnable. That's a lie. Recommit, Jesus, I hear this. Even though this is a, the t- a tough decision, maybe the toughest decision I've had to make, I recommit to your path of integrity, of godliness, of holiness. Help me. Lead me forward. If it feels impossible to you, the prayer team would love to pray for you. You don't even have to say what it is. They would love to pray freedom and breakthrough. Maybe, maybe you've never committed yourself to God's path before. Or maybe you're so off track you need to recommit yourself to God's path. I, I, I suggest praying something like this. God, here I am. Forgive me. I dedicate the entirety of my life to following you, Jesus. To following your path. Whether things are good or whether things are challenging. No matter what happens, I commit to following you. Fill me with your grace. Fill me with your forgiveness. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and lead me in your way. I dedicate my life to you now and forever. In Jesus' name. Amen.